I've entitled this message, uh, How Faith Works, but I want to kind of change the title. And I want to talk to you about limiting God. How we often limit him. I want to kind of build up a little bit, kind of going to start slow, catch fire, rise higher. So uh, stay with me. Psalms 103 in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Those you forget, you don't receive. Forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I believe God wants to do so much more for us than what we expect him to do. Uh, he, he said this to King David. He said, I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you so much more. Say much more. So, so literally, like David limited what God was going to do in his life. When Jesus tells the parable or the story of the prodigal son, we all know the son goes away and spends his inheritance in riotous living and comes back and his father sees him and receives him and kills the fatted calf, puts a new robe on him, puts shoes on his feet, a ring on his finger. And honey, I forgot mine tonight, but I do have one. Everybody, I've got one. Somebody got mad one time because I didn't have my ring on. And they said, I'm leaving the church because you don't have a ring. I do have one. I just don't wear it all the time. Gets caught on everything. And he goes, well, anyway, that's a side trip. So he puts a ring on him, all right? Puts a ring on him, and uh, they, they, they're having this party, and the older. Get me, baby. Right there. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like the prodigal son coming home. <laughs> so they're having this party, and the older brother comes in from the field, and What's going on? This is your younger brother's come back and your dad's killed the fatted calf and he's given him a party and the older brother won't come in. And so the father goes out to him and says, what's the problem? He says, you know, all these years I've served you and I never once disobeyed you. But this rebellious son of yours goes and wastes all your living. He comes back and you killed the fatted calf and you never did that for me. In fact, my favorite translation, he says, you never even gave me a skinny goat. Never even gave me a skinny goat. Do you know a lot of Christians have a skinny goat God? They, they look at God and like God is, is, is on, you know, this, this, this program where he's trying to give you as little as he possibly can. In Psalm 78 in verse 41, yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited the Holy One of Israel. When, when God appears to Abraham, he says, I am El Shaddai. And it literally means the God who is more than enough. The all-sufficient one. He's not just enough. He is more than enough. In Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. How many of you can think pretty good? You got a pretty good imagination. 
He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Jesus to all generations forever and ever. You know, we should be excited. We, we, we should be looking to stretch, looking to do more, believing for something bigger, uh, for a breakthrough that we haven't had. You know, just uh, last month, we had Andrew Womack come and, and uh, preach. How many of you enjoyed Andrew while he was here? Just fabulous, fabulous. And uh, we're talking and, and he says, yeah, we just built the $60 million building for cash. And now we're building some more and I need $150 million right now. We're going to build cash, $150 million. And he said that. And it was like the Lord said to me, and how about you? And I said, well... Uh, we owe nine, seven, and it'll take us like seven or eight years. And, and God said, do you think I can do more than that? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, like, like the Lord, Lord said, uh, pick your faith up and believe me for something. Stretch out there. He said, I can do more. I can do more than you can even ask or think. Now, faith grows. Faith grows. I'm going to say it this way. Faith grows and prayer is a journey. Your faith grows and prayer is a journey. Uh, George Muller had an orphanage in Bristol, England. Many of you have heard about George Muller. He started out with just an orphan. And 50 years later, if I remember right, he had 3,000 orphans. And he never asked anybody for anything. And you, you can read his, his biography, and it's just amazing the way God would provide. They had no food. He said, well, sit the kids down. And the baker comes and said, I just woke up early. I woke up at midnight, and God told me to make bread. Can you use bread? And he said, put the bread on the table. And while the guy's putting the bread on the table, the guy from the milk truck comes and says, my wheel just fell off right in front. I've got 400 gallons of milk. Could you use some? <laughs> And I mean, it was just like every day. He said in the end, he said it was easier now to believe for a million pounds over a million dollars than it was in the beginning to believe for one. Your faith grows. Your faith grows. But prayer is a process. Now, let me let me give you an example for the, for this. Jesus says in, in Mark 11, he says, I say to you when what things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you will, you'll have them. So when you pray, you believe God hears and says yes. Right. But look at a couple of examples from the book of Daniel. In Daniel 9, verse 20, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord God, the holy, the holy mountain of my God, angel shows up and says, at the beginning of your supplication and command went out and I have come to tell you for your greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So he is praying. And while he's praying, an angel shows up. While he's praying, he says, when you begin to speak at the beginning of your prayer, he said the command went out. So maybe it took 
Three minutes? 60 seconds? I don't know. It didn't take long. But in Daniel 10, he says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning, fasting, and praying for three full weeks. So the first one, he's praying, and the answer shows up while he's praying. But the next one, he's fasting and he's praying for three weeks. And an angel said, don't fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. So he prayed. God heard. God said yes. But it took three weeks for the answer to get there. And he, the, the angel goes on and explains that the prince of Persia, a demon spirit, withstood him for 21 days. And Michael, the archangel, came and helped him, and then he broke through. So although faith grows, and really when we pray, we believe God says yes, yet prayer can be a process because it can happen instantly. It can happen in three weeks, but it can take more time. In this particular instance, there was a spirit, a demonic spirit that was involved. And uh, sometimes people are involved. People are involved. I told you this story, so I'm not going to give it to you in great detail. But uh, we were in Mexico. We lived in Mexico. And we were getting ready to leave. And the, 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 I had this thought. I was supposed to give my car, Jeannie's car, actually. I was supposed to give Jeannie's car away. And, and I resisted, and I resisted, and I resisted. And finally, I gave in. And so I told the fella, the, the, this, my, my friend, pastor friend, Chewy, he didn't have a car. He and his wife, they took a bus everywhere. And I told him I was going to give him that car. And he literally, he said, you know, I've known that for six weeks. <laughs> now, the problem wasn't God. The problem was me. The problem was me. Sometimes people are involved. Now in John 3, it says God's a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now I want to talk to you about how faith works in conjunction with our prayers. Now God's a spirit. You're a spirit. You may not know that. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says, May the very God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. So the real you is a spirit. You live inside of a body, and you have a soul or a mind. Which means, literally, that you're the same class of being that God is. God's a spirit. Hebrews 1 says angels are spirits, and you're a spirit. Now, here's where we get into trouble because uh, how many of you have been looking at a car lately and it was a hybrid? Anybody? They've got a gasoline or a diesel engine and then they've got an electric engine. They've got both of them. Now, you may not realize this, but you are a hybrid being. You're different than an animal, but animals have bodies and you have a body, right? And you're different than an angel. Angels are spirits, but you are also a spirit. So you are able to function in two worlds because of that. Right? You function in the spiritual realm because you are a spirit. But yet you function in the natural realm because you have a body. So you're a hybrid spirit or a hybrid being. 
But where faith works is faith works in the spiritual realm. Faith, the Bible says, it's of the heart. For with the heart, man believes. Romans chapter 10. So there's this part of you that, is in the, that, that, that functions in the spiritual realm. And so we need to know how that spiritual realm functions. So in Genesis chapter 1, God says, let there be light and there was light. And he said, let there be firmament and there was firmament. He said, let there be trees and there were. How did, how did God function? He functioned as a speaking spirit. He spoke and believed what he said would come to pass. And by the way, God did not say what he saw. He said what he believed and what he wanted. Because Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form. Some of your translations say the earth was catastrophic, and there was gross darkness on the face of the earth. God did not look at that mess and say, what a mess. God didn't look at the darkness and say, sure is dark. God looked at the mess and he looked at the darkness and said, let there be light. And then he said, let all that firmament come together and let the waters separate from the firmament. He said things and they came to pass. Now, we need to realize that that's how faith works. Faith works when we speak and believe. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Now, Romans 8 and 6 says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, it's talking about your physical being, talking about when it says you're carnal, carnally minded, when you are earthly minded, when you're functioning just as your body tells you to function, it's death. But the spiritually minded is life and peace, carnally minded. Uh, in, in, uh, in Spanish, we say carne. It means meat. And it, literally, when it says here, to be carnally minded, it's calling you a meathead. <laughs> it's saying like when you just make all your dumb decisions because of what your body wants to do, you are a meathead. You're just listening to your body. All right. But the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight, because what you believe is often different than what you see. We walk by faith and not by sight. I remember years ago, the Russians uh, put, you know, that, uh, that uh, rocket up into space and the cosmonauts came back and said, hey, we did not see God. Well, if they'd have just stepped outside, they'd have seen him real fast, you know. <laughs> but, but you aren't, you aren't going to see God with your natural eyes. That's not how you see him, because he is a spirit. He's a spirit operates in the spiritual realm. And so the Bible says that the spirit of man, that's your spirit, is the candle of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 20. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. 
So when God speaks to you, when God reveals something to you, he doesn't talk to your head. He talks to your spirit. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. That's where he enlightens you. That's where he illuminates you. That's where he brings revelation. That's where he speaks to you. I don't need to see the seed that you sow in your garden to know what you sowed. All I have to do is look at the plant. When the plant grows up, I can look at the plant and say, that is a tomato plant. That is a green pepper plant. Right? That is a broccoli plant. That is a cabbage. I just look at the fruit and I know the seed that you planted. Now, what we don't recognize is that the words that you and I speak, they're seeds. They grow and they bear fruit. Now, God wants to bless us. In fact, I love what it says in 2 Chronicles 16. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So God wants to bless you. Satan tries to hinder those blessings. In 1 Thessalonians 2, it says, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. But Satan hindered us. I, I, I heard about a college professor, and he asked his students, Are any of you Christians? You know, one lone Christian in the back lifted their hands, and the professor said to him, uh, Okay, you think you're a Christian. Can God do anything? And the students, yes, yes. God can do anything, anything, absolutely. And uh, the professor said, uh, well, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? And the, professor, and the students like, ah. Oh. Now, listen, the correct answer is God cannot do everything. He can't lie. He can't violate his word. He can't do anything that's against his nature. Can God do everything? No, God can't do everything. There are things he cannot do. In fact, he has limited himself by his word. The Bible says in Psalms 138, you have exalted your word above all your name. So he's going to do what he says in his word. And everything, by the way, I'm just going to say this again. Everything that happens is not the will of God. Paul wanted to come again and again, but Satan hindered. It says in 2 Peter 3, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. All should repent, but yet people perish without God every day. It's not God's will. But if you only believe what you see, hear, taste, smell, and touch, you are carnally minded. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, in the evidence of things not seen, not perceived by your five senses. In other words, the faith realm and the carnal mind are always at enmity with each other. That carnal mind, it will never bring us in contact with God. So what we need to do is recognize that God's word is a seed. It says you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, even the word of God that lives and endures forever. Mark chapter 4 says that the sower goes and he sows the seed, which Jesus said is the gospel of the 
kingdom. God's word's a seed. And it's planted. It gets watered. You've got to water it. You've got to weed it. And it'll grow. And Jesus said, first there's a, a blade. Then there's the stalk. Then there's the ear. And then there's the full grain in the ear. In other words, you don't get the harvest necessarily instantaneously. But over time, just like you plant a seed in your garden, you are going to reap a harvest. So when those wrong thoughts come, we've got to take those captive. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So when the wrong thoughts come, when the arguments come, when the speculations come, they've got to be dealt with. You've got to cast them down and bring them into obedience to the word of God. In other words, if that does not agree with the word, you cast it down and you say, this is what the word says. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. So when that thought, when a tongue, when a word comes against you, you need to speak against that thing. You need to rise up and condemn that word. If it's a wrong word, you condemn it. If it's a right word, you accept it. I remember listening to one of my mentors, Lester Summerall, years ago. And he was someplace in the South Pacific. He was doing a service. And he was walking down the aisle, going up to the front of the service. And a woman came up to him and just said, there's a dark angel in you and a white angel in me. He said he instantly recognized what it was. It was a demonic confrontation. He said, no, he said, the spirit of God's in me and there is a wrong spirit in you and I bind you and I command you to come out of her. He said, she hit the floor like a sack of potatoes. He said, every lost person in the whole place ran to the altar and got saved. You know, when that tongue rises up against you in judgment, you need to condemn it. You need to confront it. You need to say, no, that's not true. When somebody says, oh, the economy's slow and you're going to lose your job, you say, not me, I'm not. I'm going to be blessed in a downturn. When somebody says it's flu season, you better get your shot. How many already had somebody tell you that? I already told them I ain't getting one. I'm healed in Jesus' name. And we say, well, everybody your age, they all have arthritis and they have problems with this and they have that. No, I don't in Jesus' name. I don't in Jesus' name. You know, all the men in your family in their 50s, they have heart trouble, end up with cancer by the time they're 65. Not in my family, they don't in Jesus' name. It's not happening to me. I don't care what happened to anybody else. Amen. It's not going to happen. Everybody in your family's poor, and you're going to be poor all your life. No, I'm not. I'm blessed. He provides for all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
You know, your mother was divorced four times. You'll probably be divorced four or five times, too. No, I won't. My marriage is blessed. My marriage is blessed in Jesus name and my children are blessed. You know, mental illness runs in your family. I think you're crazy anyway. <laughs> sure, sure, you're going to get it. No, I'm not. In Jesus' name, I have the mind of Christ. You know, people in your family, they all get depressed. They're all addicts. No, not, I'm not going to go that way. I've got the mind of Christ. I'm free. I'm a new creature in Christ. You know, every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you're to condemn it. You're to stand up and speak against it. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And your righteousness, God says, it is from me. Now, when you believe what somebody else says, it can affect you. It can affect you. I, I may have told this story before, but years ago, we were still back over on 44th Street. And uh, I think we had two or three services in the morning at that time. And I, I noticed during the song service, there was this guy. He was sitting back over there, five, six rows back. And during the song service, he's just. You know, now that's weird. But, you know, we are kind of charismatic. Somebody says, what does that mean? That means that, you know, we're a little fruity. And sometimes some people are a little fruity and nuts and. So I, I, I literally, I had another person who told me they were weaving a glory cloud, and I thought, who knows, the guy's weaving a glory cloud or something. He thinks he is, anyway. <laughs> so I didn't pay much attention until it comes time to preach. And when I'm, I'm preaching, he's sitting down, but he's still doing this, and he's talking the whole time. And he's making noise, and I'm trying to preach. And literally half the church is looking at him, you know. And he keeps on doing this and he keeps on talking. So I just keep on talking faster and faster. So nobody notices him. You know, and I'm hoping that they're turning up my mic and I'm, I'm wishing somebody would go over there and take the guy out or do something, talk to him. But I kept on going really fast. In fact, when I got to the altar call, I had to talk really fast because everybody was looking at him. and I don't want them to look at him. I had to have them looking at me. And so I'm giving the altar call really fast because, and I'm, because I don't want people to notice him and I want people to get saved. So I keep on talking fast. And I said, no, you need to lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you and God's going to come in. And I'm just going like this the whole time. All right. Well, after the service, we find out the guy's a Satanist and he's trying to curse me the whole service yeah and, and, and somebody said well were you upset no I was not upset I mean the Bible says there is no divination against Israel I just I just spoke that out right that in Jesus name anything he tries to put on me he's gonna bounce back and hit him right in the face but when somebody speaks a word we need to confront that thing you just confront it in faith, in Jesus' name. Again, Jesus said, the sower sows the word. What does he sow? He sows the word. God's word is a seed that is planted in your heart. And Jesus talked about the kinds of ground. It can be stony. It can be full of, of uh, thorns and thistles. It can be hard like a path. Or it can be good ground. And when I believe today, we were, I've got people here, your, your, your hearts are good ground. And the word of God goes into your heart. And then it comes up, Jesus said, first it's just a blade. Then there's an ear. And then that ear grows. He says, and then comes the harvest. 
Remember, you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, even the word of God that lives and endures forever. So God's word is a seed and it produces faith in our lives and it produces the thing that God sent it forth. The thing that it speaks about, it produces. But your words are important because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Other people's words, they'll affect you if you believe them, if you don't confront them. When somebody speaks contrary to the word, you and I, we speak against that thing. Now, I'm, I'm going to close with a, a thought. The Bible says to fight the good fight of faith. And the Christian life is a fight. It is a fight. Well, listen to this. One evening in 1945, after a rally, the free world had won the Second World War. Winston Churchill was dining with a woman at the table, and she asked, now that the war's over, what was the worst moment in the war for you? Was it the fall of France, the threat of invasion? Was it Dunkirk? And after a moment, he answered, frankly, my dear, I enjoyed every moment of it. He essentially said that he enjoyed the fight. He didn't enjoy sleeping on a cot in his underground war room listening to bombs fall on London above him. He didn't enjoy the heart-trending tribulation of terror and war. But he was glad to be involved in a great cause, to stand against evil, to shape history. He embraced the fight, challenged his nation to fight, and led the free world to victory. The Christian life is a fight. And you need to relish the fight. Don't think it's strange, James said, when you find yourself in all sorts of fiery tribulations and problems and situations. Listen, God will use those things to shape you. I'm telling you, Goliath had an effect on David's life because he embraced the fight. The struggle makes victory sweet. I want you to listen to this. Judges 3. Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. Least those who had not normally, not formally known it. In other words, we need something to fight for, something to stand against. There's going to be battles. There's going to be victories. There's going to be setbacks. Right? And it's part of the fight of faith. We need to be obedient in standing against the enemies that rise up against us. God gives us something great to fight for. Jeannie and I were, were reading a book a while back, and it was talking about parents and even grandparents. But it made this, this, this observation that when parents do a lot to help their grown kids, it doesn't help them, it hinders them. And they, go, they don't go as far in life as they would go if the parents hadn't helped them. You know, I've heard people say this, well, I just don't want my kids to have to go through what I went through. 
I don't want that have to have. I don't want them to struggle like I struggled. But you know what? The struggle builds some character. It'll build some character. In Peter, it says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness, genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As you live the Christian life, there will be challenges, there will be struggles, there will be conflicts, there will be difficulties. Somebody said, would you please be more positive, Pastor? I am positive. You will have challenges, struggles, <laughs> conflicts, difficulties. All right. As you pursue God's will for your life, as you pursue the dreams that God places in your heart, there is going to be opposition. But when you stand in faith and fight the good fight of faith, you will come through victorious every time and your faith will be found to give you praise and honor and glory when Jesus is revealed. Don't look for the easy way out. Don't do it. I've heard people say Christianity is a crutch. Well, not the kind that's in the Bible. It's not. It's not a crutch. Well, I'd like everybody to stand a moment. And we're going to take a couple minutes here. So nobody moving, please, unless it's ne absolutely necessary. But every head bowed, please. If, first of all, if you're here today and, and you're away from the Lord, or you know you're not right with God, and you say, I want to get right. I'm going to count to three, and when I say three, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. We're going to pray together, and God's going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. Now, as you lift your hand, you're saying to God, I know that, that I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. That's one. You're saying to God, I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life, and I'm going to hold nothing back. Get ready. You lift that hand. You're saying today, I'm giving him my life. I'm receiving him. And I'm receiving the forgiveness that he has for me. I'm surrendering my life and I'm going to live for him every day. Three. Just lift that hand up. Say, pray with me. I'm not right. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Now, I'm going to ask everybody to place one hand over your heart and lift your other hand towards heaven. We're going to pray with those that lifted their hands. I want you to make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, that you make me a new person on the inside. And I'm a part of your family today and forever. 